This is the Black Hall Podcast with Ryan Millsap. Georgia has film and television production. It also has the digital gaming business. Let's face it, Georgia is redefining what success looks like in the world of entertainment. Ryan Millsap has seen it all firsthand. The real estate entrepreneur recognized opportunity and founded Black Hall Studios in Atlanta, creating one of the country's leading movie studios. But that was yesterday. Like all great entrepreneurs, wanderlust sets in. Ryan's next foray into the entertainment business could change the landscape in film and television. A down-to-earth guy who just happens to travel in the rarefied air of the country's top entertainment and business elite, the Atlanta Business Chronicle named Ryan one of the top CEOs of 2021. Nietzsche said, in heaven, all the interesting people are missing. You'll find a lot of them on the Black Hall Podcast with Ryan Millsap. Welcome. Today on the podcast, I'd like to welcome Michael Hahn and Dan Rosenfeld, the founders of Electric Owl Studios, which is the first gold lead certified studio in the world. We'll talk all about it on today's episode. Mike and Dan are neither new to the business nor to each other as they come from a successful collaboration at Third Rail Studios, which they recently sold. Dan's industry experience includes serving as president at Riverfront Stages, Third Rail, as well as time served at Akiba Goldsman and George Clooney's production companies at Warner Brothers. For Mike, Electric Owl is his third film and television studio development project and will be built by his own Atlanta-based real estate company, Capstone South Properties. So, teaming up to build the greenest studio on earth, Mike and Dan are ambitious guys who want to show the world the why and the how of sustainable studio design. An owl can turn its head as much as 270 degrees, but by how many degrees will Electric Owl Studios be able to turn the head of the film industry? Hi, this is Ryan Millsap. Welcome to the Black Hall Podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Michael Hahn and Dan Rosenfeld, who are building a new movie studio together in Atlanta called Electric Owl Studios. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Ryan, thanks for having us. Hey, now, this isn't your first rodeo. You guys built a studio before. That's right. Tell me about that one. So, um, that's you're referring to Third Rail Studios. Third Rail, that's, that's right. That's right. So, um, was there another one? <laughs> only in our dreams. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. So, tell me, about, tell me about Third Rail. Tell me about the exit and tell me about what you're doing next and how they compare these, you know, these studios. Sure. So I, I became involved in the film studio business in 2012, which is now ancient history in, in this world. Uh, there was very few purpose-built studios uh, around. I think Screen Gems may have been the only one when I started. Uh, Pinewood was uh, being Pinewood built. Was, Pinewood was a dream. It was, it was a dream. I uh, ended up going to work. Uh, I'm a real estate developer, not a, really a studio guy. but uh, Welcome to the club. I know, so we have that in common. Mm-hmm. But um, So I went to work for this gentleman named Jim Jacoby, who was latching on to the film uh, tax credit as a way to develop a property that he had a little bit north of the perimeter uh, in Gwinnett County. 
And so I got involved from the real estate perspective and trying to figure out how to make this studio come to fruition, which it never did. Uh, but during that, my end of uh, end of my time with Jacoby, I ended up being recruited by the Integral Group to help rebrand the GM plant in Doraville, uh, which is what eventually became Third Rail Studios. So I used my knowledge that I got with Jim Jacoby and, and went and executed it at the Third Rail site. And that's really how Dan and I met. Um, and we became uh, really great partners and working together. And uh, you may want to delve into this a little bit more, but we, we decided to come uh, form a partnership and build our own facility after after exiting Third Rail. Now, when you formed quote, a partnership. Yes. Did you do legal documents? We have done legal documents. Did you do an LLC agreement? We did do an LLC agreement. This is just a little inside <laughs> joke to my attorneys around uh, the notion of how people do business in America, which is generally in writing and generally with LLC agreements for ventures like this. And so that's what you guys did. You don't actually have a partnership that's a separate legal entity. That would be defined legally. And I do have a legal background also. But right. So what that would, would be technically a different uh, definition. But, you know, they're treated the same sometimes for tax purposes. For tax purposes, yes. But partnership is... Uh, it's a colloquialism. Uh, yeah. it's And it's I don't think that form of, of uh, business gathering is used as much anymore. So proprietorships and partnerships are not very favorable because they lack the legal protection that a limited liability company may offer. That's right. So, so anyway, you guys, you, you, you I'm learning the, so much, I, right? So you, you my you, brain hurts from practicing law right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you build thir th third rail, you guys started out with the, at the GM motors plant. How many acres was that? The whole thing. So the whole thing was about 160 acres. Um, and contrary to what Jim was trying to do at, uh, at what we called OFS, uh, which was that he envisioned that as an entire uh, film campus. Um, G the GM, this was a catalyst to drive other developments. So the actual site, even though I, I had uh, lobbied for a larger site at the time, was only seven acres. And we used off-site parking, and so it was really just the footprint of the studio and sort of what we needed to operate. We we had to squat on a, even on a, another piece of land, and um, we had to use adjacent parking. So, and third rail was what three stages? It was three stages. Each That's was right. how many square feet? Uh, they were about twenty thousand square feet a piece. And how much office space over there? Uh, we had thirty thousand. Thirty thousand. Yep. And then warehouse space. Um, about seventy-two thousand. Mm-hmm. What's uh, Electric Owl look like? What's that footprint? It's um, double that, a little bit more. So six stages, um, two 30,000-square-foot stages, four 20s, uh, a 75,000-square-foot mill, 50,000-square-foot office, 20,000-square-foot costume building uh, and set deck and uh, art department. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, 17 acres. Very exciting. Where is yeah. it? Um, it is five minutes from Avondale States, across from the Indian Creek Marta Station on the east side of town. Uh, we border 285. Uh, we're kind of uh, Black Hall's neighbor. About, yeah, close. About, I mean, 10 yeah, minutes 10 apart. 10 minutes north. Yeah. yeah. It's a great location. We'll be your um, ancillary space. 
Well, you know, I, I sold black also. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. You, know, they, they, you did. Congrats. They, thank you. Thank you. No, and, cool. and the good news is, is that in this business right now, soundstage space is so much in demand that literally whatever gets built gets full. Right. So, um, but better news for you guys from a real estate perspective is that you're going to be in one of the best locations in town. And so even if things got slower at any point, you're probably going to be full first. Yeah. Yeah, we feel that it's in the heart of town, that it's <clears throat> convenient to the airport, to Midtown, to Buckhead, to Decatur, where there's a lot of crew who live on the east side of town. And uh, being, you know, near uh, Amarta Station, I think over time is going to be really beneficial. You know, we're literally across the street from the easternmost Marta Station. So um, just to be as Atlanta gets fuller, which even in the five years since I moved here from L.A., has gotten way more crowded, and I know the projections are insane. Um, I think it'll just be another um, element to the location is being across the street from public transit. What were some of the things that you learned from Third Rail that you're going to change in uh, Electric Owl? So I think from the development perspective, um, we, we've got a – a cleaner slate to work with. Um, at Third Rail, we had to uh, build within the envelope of an existing building. Uh, this one, we have uh, we can build from the ground up, so we're free to to design it the way we want. I'll let Dan tell you a little bit about more about the specificity of how that's going to be different in terms of operation. But you know, just generally from a building standpoint, we can do a lot more and uh, have brand new buildings and uh, just a, a cleaner way to build. Specificity. <laughs> no, I think it's a huge deal to to be able to do a ground up development um, as opposed to a, a um, uh, adaptive reuse of a building. You know, the reuse at Third Rail just dictated uh, a lot of decisions, and it all ended up being under one roof um, because that was just how the kind of land and the buildings shook out. So I, I think being able to take a piece of land and really, um, you know, develop each building individually and the flow of traffic and, and how it's all laid out is a big deal. Um, from a, from a building standpoint, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it's about the same. It's similar, you know, similar concrete tilt up, um, you know, heavily fortified soundproof stages. Um, we've had a lot of great conversations and decisions about really what each department of a movie or film needs. And we went department by department and just said, all right, when they're in a space and mind you, no production, as you know, is the same. You can build it as specifically as you want and say, we got it. We nailed it. And the next group comes in and they're just like, this is stupid. You know, yeah. what, what, what were you thinking? You know, <laughs> why didn't you do blank? You know, so um, w w what you have to do is be specific, but also create it in a way that's that's uh, general enough for them to lay into the place and, and kind of fall into where they want to go. Uh, so maybe this building over here isn't a costume building. Maybe they want to put their full art department in there. That's fine. You know, no problem. You you build it in a way that uh, and design it in a way that um, really fits everyone. So those decisions become interesting, and and uh, you have to kind of think two ways about it all the time. Uh, so this gave us the opportunity to do that. What do the capital markets look like right now? You know, I'm back when I built Black Hall. The capital markets were so early. No, none of the lenders understood movie studios as real estate. 
I know that's shifting rapidly, um, you know, particularly in, in 2020 when Blackstone put a billion and a half into HPP. It really shifted the marketplace from a real estate standpoint and turned it into an official uh, real estate asset class. Yep. What are you seeing in the capital markets? It's a good, good question. And I know uh, we probably shared this struggle uh, when we first built studios here. Um, uh, instead of hard money loans, uh, now you're looking at institutional money that's discovered the space. And, you know, the, you hear two caps, three caps on multifamily now. Uh, and they look at the studio investment and they say, oh, well, it's, you know, the demand's there. Um, the risk is, it's been de-risked risked to some degree because of the length of, of leases that are um, that are being signed by production companies. Um, so we've had a, a good response uh, to the capital markets and we've got great uh, rates to, to borrow the money. But I think a lot of that comes from, you know, putting together a team that's experienced and being able to handle a development like this. I, I still think it would be challenging for someone that uh, didn't have the industry uh, experience and, and the development experience, but uh, definitely um, a different world than it was in 2012. What kind of cap rate do you think you can build to today? Um, well, we see, uh, you know, through appraisals and things like that, eight, eight, nine. For caps. sure on the exit. Yeah, on the but, exit. But like, what do you what do you think that spread is today? Like, what, is it a double? I, it's something like that. Yeah, yeah. better. I, I'm being vague. I'm yeah, purpose, no, I understand. But, yeah. I understand. Um, but you think it's you know it's it's there's still a wide gap between uh, what you can build it and what you can exit. Absolutely. Although the exit is only you know there's only been two real exits, right? Black Hall was the first exit, and Third Rail is the second exit. Right. Um, and so. Those are both unique situations, mm -hmm. which I think sometimes maybe the real estate community doesn't totally understand in the sense that, uh, you know, gray television had much bigger plans than just third rail right. um, for that piece of property. And on the Black Hall side, you know, I sold a lot more than just one asset in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. um, I sold a, a pipeline of about a billion dollars of development from London to L.A. All right. So, and I think that makes a difference is, mm -hmm. is, um, you know, having a, a, a diverse portfolio and a lot of the big players right now are looking in tier one markets. We're probably a tier two market in, in Georgia. So at some point, you know, they're going to start looking, uh, to acquire assets we feel in, in the secondary markets. I think uh, you're right. I think you're right. I mean, I think, um, you know, part of the thesis that I was working off of which was a thesis I developed with Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley around the notion of an exit as a publicly traded REIT. I think that's coming. Mm -hmm. And so once you get guys that are publicly traded REITs, they're going to need to gobble up more and grow. And then they get, they're going to get into the secondary markets. I mean, Atlanta's right. Really Atlanta is a primary market in my opinion, apart from the politics right? and the politics around the tax credit and the politics around other things that are social that make it, you know, can, can create problems for the production companies. Those are the only things that are holding back Atlanta from being, I think, number one in the in the world for major productions. I mean, we have the best Agreed. infrastructure. Yeah, that's, I think that's a great analysis. Yeah. That's right on point. You know, do when I, when we talk about this and, you know, tell me, you know, what you think, but I, you know, I tell people there's only six cities that really matter in English-speaking 
entertainment, and that's L.A., New York, Atlanta, London, Toronto, Vancouver. Sounds right. Think I'm missing anything there? N- no, I don't think so. I think there's some up and coming, you yeah. know, production. There could be places. some emerging. Who do you think's area? emerging? Who do you think Maybe emerging? some other UK locations. You know, mm-hmm. um, just as a kind of uh, like Scotland, Ireland, uh, their tax credits are becoming more robust. Uh, crew around the UK can kind of get there, and and they've been filming there for a while, and a lot of the um, UK spaces are full, you know, uh, been taken, taken up by big, uh, you know, production entities. So they could be up and coming. I, I wouldn't put them on par with the six you just mentioned. Um, but I think they're up and coming. Uh, but I think besides those two, that's probably accurate. Yeah. And we, when we, you see how fast this industry is growing and, you know, 10 years ago, Georgia might not have been on that list either. So, you know, there's, there could be emergence of other, um, uh, other cities that that come to light over the next ten years. Too. Certainly, so. people seem to be interested in New Jersey, uh, and New Jersey's as a state's trying to uh, implement some some credits or incentives that are um, you know interesting to production. You know, so that could be up and coming as well, but obviously not there yet. Anybody else that you see up and coming? Um, not as much as those. Not as much as those markets yet. But as Mike just said, you know, I think it's really um, things can shift quickly, um, as we've seen over the years. And, uh, you know, we're keeping an eye on it. Are you guys thinking about expanding beyond Atlanta? That's our intention right now. We've got a great capital partner that's willing to, to invest in that. So we are looking at other markets and bringing our brand uh, to other markets, um, not like Pinewood. Uh, we're not looking at licensing our, our name necessarily, but investing and building uh, properties in other markets that uh, carry our aesthetic and our operational method and our, uh, our gold and our sustainability aspect, which I'm sure you want to get into at some point. I here. do, yeah. actually. I was going to ask you specifically about two things. Tell me about the name Electric Owl, mm-hmm. and then tell me about the sustainability aspect and the, the notion of, like, is it gold lead certified? Yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. So, yeah, we, you know, Mike and I in our conversations about the type of studio we wanted to build and uh, uh, own around the world, uh, we, we wanted to really figure out something that was going to be different or special about the new place. Um, not that it's entirely necessary. Uh, as you said, you know, if you build stages or you, you have space in a certain uh, area where production's happening, it, it'll be filled. But we still wanted something that we could uh, be proud of, that we could uh, really differentiate ourselves with. And we thought that a uh, truly sustainable, you know, green studio uh, has not fully been done in the world yet. So we um, set out to uh, create a plan to to make a LEED certified studio. Uh, LEED, if, if people listening are don't know what it is. It's it's kind of the highest international standard certification for being eco friendly or 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 green, um, uh, leadership and energy and environmental development is lead. Um, so that was kind of what we hung our hat on was this concept. Um, beyond that, we wanted it to be a super nice place, uh, high quality, almost like a luxury hotel that you know 
for movies and TV shows around the world. And that's that's our, our goal. So the name Electric Owl, I think uh, Mike had floating around in his head. And uh, Mike, I don't know if you want to talk about it. Sure, sure. So um, Electric Owl is a slang word for a night watchman at a railroad yard. So we, we felt it was metaphorical for our role as stewards for productions that came into the our facility. And uh, we're going to get, uh, we're going to have, provide a safe haven for them to produce their content. And a then night, we, a night watchman in a railroad yard. That's right. Yeah. So the so, electric owl. So making sure that, that all the cars are uh, safe, that the property's safe, that all the checks are done, you know, so that's, it's a slang term in the rail yard. And then there's, there's another component uh, just in the history of the land as well. So, so the the land has been the land that we're purchasing has been in in, in this woman's fa- family for over a hundred years, and uh, it's had a history of owls being on on the property. So we sort of combine that with the nature aspect, and the electric electric part it goes a little bit to our green uh, connotation, and you know, thirty percent of our, our our energy is going to be from renewable resources. So all of that sort of lends itself to the electric owl name. We can play with it on different levels. Yeah. Tell me about some of the elements. I mean, is, is, is a lot of that going to be solar? Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be, um, uh, solar panels, certainly, um, water capture. So rain comes down, we get to save it and utilize it. Um, uh, gray water recycling, um, EV stations. We're going to have almost 50 plug-in stations, which, I was thinking about last night might not even be enough com- with all the electric vehicles that are coming on the market soon. Um, but as far as we know, nobody, no studios have that much um, EV, you know, plugins, um, things that are maybe boring to people, but high efficiency HVAC, you know, everywhere, which certainly costs us a little bit more, but um, overall is not going to affect anything price-wise for the productions, uh, which I should point out too, because we've been asked that question by different production entities. You know, what's this going to cost me? Great, you're you're green, which they're super excited about, but uh, uh, and that it's not going to cost them anything more. We we've figured out how to make it just market rates for everything. So the cost was on our side, and just being creative and forming great partnerships with uh, our different vendors. Um, so. Uh, what else is there going to be in there besides the HVAC, solar, water capture? There's a lot of uh, other oh, things. Materials, yeah. recycled materials in the buildings. Um, and We uh, have a negative carbon concrete product that we're going to be using. Uh, proximity to transit has also given us some some lead points that that's right. are necessary. Yeah. 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 Some smaller details too, but yeah. What's negative carbon concrete? So that that's a very good question, but there is a company that has a product that's considered negative carbon that they use, and the cost difference is really not significant uh, to to use that product. So we're going to use it in our tilt up and our uh, the concrete that we're going to use for our uh, uh, for the ground that's going to be between the stages. Negative carbon's a new superhero movie. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would watch it. <laughs> Negative carbon Negative. versus black Adam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Negative carbon would have to be a superhero. I think so. But I think he'd only be a superhero in one of those like children's Saturday morning. That's right. You know, teaching lessons. Mm-hmm. No doubt. 
Did you understand that if you could recycle your water <laughs> and have it be gray water, <laughs> that your carbon footprint would be reduced? Yeah. Yeah. Like and then that. the kids will be like, just punch someone. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> then he becomes like a joke to the children. Right. Yeah. Um, tell me, tell me about, um, on the, on the management side, mm -hmm. the things that you're excited about implementing around the studio that you think are, are missing in the marketplace or, or things that you think can be done better in the marketplace. Yeah. Well, I think generally speaking, my mode in running, um, physical production studios has been the same since I started doing it in LA, which is, you know, try and say yes to everything uh, that a production needs, uh, which is maybe a little uh, different than the rest of the marketplace. You know, try and set your, your pricing and your entire infrastructure up for the production that once they walk into the, the campus and into the buildings, that the rest of it is just theirs. Um, might sound obvious, but, uh, I haven't seen that everywhere. Um, so we try and be as fair as we can and to say yes to anything we can without kind of extra fees and without surprises. And, um, you know, one model we're trying to build right now is just trying to figure out as much of a um, kind of all-inclusive model that's, uh, you know, non-variable costs for a production. Uh, so they don't really, it's not so much the numbers for them every day as it is if they don't, if there's... Uh, variable, they can't account for it and they can't budget for it, right? So really thinking about how do we make this as seamless and easy as possible um, to, to uh, get them in the door and just say, hey, you, you know what's next. You know the bill every month. You know that you're no, there's no surprises, right? So it's really um, kind of just saying yes to them, being positive, uh, treating them uh, as if we're a partner to them instead of a traditional landlord-tenant mm -hmm. uh, situation. Um, you know, I, my background is in physical production, working on that side, and then in development, working uh, as a producer. So I, I kind of really know where their heads are at once they get that development boulder up the mountaintop and, and someone greenlights the project and they, they're flying down the other side of the mountain producing the thing. The studio portion should be as seamless and easy as possible because they have to go on location and they have a million other things to deal with. But in the studio, we like to kind of be their home and for it to be comfortable and hassle-free. So that's kind of where my mindset is with every decision we make. Well, DeKalb County must be excited about this development. Yes. When will you guys break ground? So we close tomorrow. Amazing. Congratulations. We, Thank we, you. We do have our permits, uh, so we will break ground as soon as uh, we have. There's some tenants on the property, so as soon as they, they leave, which uh, so we it should be within the next couple of weeks. That you break ground? That we break ground. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. What do you think the timeline is of the build? Uh, probably, <clears throat> pardon me, a little bit over a year. So we're envisioning a first quarter 2023 open, which sounds like forever, but... No, no, it's very it'll fast. Go, it'll Life go fast. fast. Yeah. It'll definitely go fast. Yeah, it's very fast. What um, it, what what are you seeing in the in, around costs and inflation around costs? I mean, construction's been notoriously difficult to forecast right now. Right, I, I'd say our cost to build since we started have probably gone up about twenty percent. Mm -hmm. But so have rents. Well, yes, and we we've adjusted our our pro forma our rents and and our pro forma to a certain degree, but uh, not not significantly. 
So that was probably one of the biggest pain points during the process, though, or at least uh, a pain point, maybe not one of the biggest, was just figuring that out with uh, the construction company was, you know, how are we going to handle the variations in, in uh, you know, raw material costs, you know. The, the rents, you know, the rents in sound stages in Atlanta have gone up at least 25%, I think, over the last 18 months. Right. And we, we've heard that uh, from from L.A. too. So it's a, it's something that's out there. Well, there's significantly more demand mm-hmm. than there is space to that's make right. that demand. That's right. I also think the quality of the studios here are incredible. Incredible. You know, so it's a great product and uh, and all the infrastructures here. So it's a really good environment. I think when it all started and when the tax incentive, before it really kicked into gear, you know, like many tax incentive states for film and TV, it was like everyone shows up and then there's like, oh, what do we, where do we go? And everyone's like, oh, we don't know, you know, good luck. But uh, now it's, it's super fortified with crew, vendors, and these gorgeous, uh, studio environment. So I, I think the, the cost is, you know, worth it. What do you think when, when people ask you, what's the history of sound stages in Georgia? What's your version of that story, that evolution, the, the entertainment industry's evolution? Um, you know, we all have different perspectives on how that thing, how it evolved. Yeah. Um, but what, it, what do you guys think when you, when people ask you and how do you, how do you describe that history? I'm not, I'm not steeped in it, to be frank, but um, kind of like most places, you know, it starts out uh, very humble and uh, people come came to the city before and, and to the state just trying to figure it out. Um, as far as who was here and who wasn't, I, I'm not really steeped in it. I, I know that uh, Screen Gems came online uh, at the right time and really got the ball rolling. If I'm missing anyone, I apologize. I don't, I don't know who was, who was here before them, but I will say that, you know, even uh, compared to other um, metropolitan areas in the world or really anywhere in the world, the infrastructure here since uh, the tax credit in its current form um, took, took uh, place was faster than anywhere else in film and TV history. Um, really, as far as growing out the infrastructure of a place, of a city. Um, even L.A., when people moved from uh, New Jersey and New York, which was the predominant production area in, in the country, um, when they moved to L.A., it, it was built way slower than what, what's been going on here. So from a timeline point of view, it's, uh, it's been pretty lightning fast. Now, if we go back to, you know... Uh, deliverance and you know that that era you know is totally different you know i i think it's kind of um apples and oranges you know so i i I don't know what it was like then with certain films but uh i'd say that the trajectory is is pretty steep and and fast here yeah yeah and i I would just say you know having been around this it's 2012 which makes me like an ancient uh player in this in this environment but um, you know, people from so LA. That's Mike's nickname, <laughs> Ancient Player. <laughs> that's my Wu Tang. <laughs> that's right. Name. Yeah. Nice. Um, um, so at that time, you know, people from LA really just wanted to come here and leave as as quickly as possible. You know, it's primarily uh, a lot of the filming was done in warehouse facilities. Uh, but I've seen uh, 
infrastructure develop and people love Georgia. People move to Georgia from LA. So there's really been a, 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 an entrenchment of, of the industry uh, over the last nine years, 10 years. Um, you see, um, you know, the thought of going to Sundance it seemed like a waste of time in 2012. But now when you go, you know, there's lots of Georgia people there and it's not, you know, they're on the talent side, which you never saw that uh, before. Um, so it's, a, you just really, I've really seen the development of the in industry here. Uh, we talk about politics. Um, at the end of the day, Georgia's business friendly, Atlanta's business friendly. Uh, it's, it's any threats to the film industry. It, the businesses seem to cut through that to a large degree. Uh, and, you know, again, it's just, it's become more stable, more entrenched, uh, more business has been developed around, around uh, the industry uh, over the past 10 years. So. What do you think the next 10 years look like? And what do you hope the 10, give me, give me what you imagine the next 10 years look like, and then add some element of what you hope the next 10 years look like. I, I, um, I think more production will continue to come to film here, but I, I do think that um, we've started over the past couple of years to, to kind of jump onto the development side and the, the creative side, um, you know, as far as writers, directors, actors, kind of staying here or moving here and being able to create their own content and money starting to come in uh, to actually produce these projects instead of, you know, so far it's been a manufacturing portion of it. It's the, the backside of the, uh, of the industry with regard to, you know, all the development, all the script writing, all everything's been done elsewhere. And then when it's been greenlit, to uh, finally film, then they'll bring it here. I really think that like any city or any place in the world uh, where you have that, you, you have a lot of creative people who, who want to make their own stuff here. Traditionally, they've had to move to LA or New York to kind of get representation, agents, managers, and to find financing for their projects. But I really think that over the next 10 years, um, We'll find more money coming here to actually produce local product. I know you, you've been involved in that, and uh, I think that's an, uh, an amazing thing. Um, I, I don't think people should have to leave. You know, it'd be, it's a weird thing if you're a writer and you are good and you have great ideas, but you can't get anyone to pay attention in your hometown, and you live in Atlanta, and you got to move to L.A. just to get people's attention uh, I love LA, by the way. I've lived there for 15 years, and I have nothing bad to say about it. But uh, I think that it's weird if you have to move there to get, you know, an agent or man manager's attention, have them sell your script, um, and then it gets greenlit, and they just come and film back in your hometown. So it'd be nice to, if people could stay home. And I really see that coming. I really think, you know, uh, UTA United Talent Agency uh, is setting up, you know, shop here. Um, which is, you know, one of the major talent agencies. And as we start to see more of that, um, then people will be able to stay here and will become a, uh, a fully-fledged industry from, from, you know, the creative inception of an idea all the way through production and hopefully post-production. Um, I, I really see that, you know, these things just take time. And like Mike said before, I think people just would come in, before there was infrastructure and before it was, um, kind of as 
sophisticated as it is now, people would come in, shoot their thing, and get out of Dodge. Um, it was a means to an end, right? But now it's <clears throat> starting to feel like, you know, more of a um, a, a robust environment for uh, creatives as, as well. And I have, you know, actor friends and writer friends who have actually moved here, uh, and the actors are working more than they ever did in L.A. They're getting in more rooms for auditions, and uh, and and they're busy here. So I think that, and then the, the lifestyle's more low-key or easier than Los Angeles or New York. So I see a lot more of that over time. Yeah, yeah I'd agree, I'd agree with that's really what the future look, looks like. Over the next 10 years, people may or may not stop building studios, but really the maturation of, of the creative side of the industry and, you know, Georgia's had somewhat of a history of that even before the tax credit, which I think helps uh, between uh, TBS and the Cartoon Network and some of the films that have been shot here over time. I, I just think there's been a tradition of having some of that uh, creative talent be, uh, already being here, and it's just being built upon with the infrastructure that's come here and the attention that Georgia's getting from Hollywood and all of the, all of the people that are here constantly. I also think on the tech side, you know, Georgia's been a, a tech hub for a while, and I think that things like VR stages um, and the like will will continue to pop up um, and be at the forefront here. So I think there's um, a lot to look forward to. Are you guys going to build some of that stuff, the digital stages? Our stages are going to be built uh, to accommodate that. Uh, at the at this point, it's um, it's such a fast moving technology, and when you pour that capital into it and it changes on a dime, it's you know, and when no one uses it for a moment, you know, it becomes a tough expenditure. Same thing with you know, um, water tanks and things like that. Everyone says you, you got to build this, you got to build this, and you're like, we built it, and they're like, great, I I don't have anything. Maybe next year, <laughs> you know, and they so um, yes, we're we're planning on those being uh, available at our studio, at all of our studios. Um, but we're, as of yet, we're not, you know, building it specifically. Well, the nice thing about a soundproof box is that technology hasn't really changed substantially for 100 years. Right. Now, what goes on inside of the soundproof box, that's changed a lot. Mm -hmm. So those are very different businesses. That's right. Right. And we also like um, our our... One of our kind of tenets is, you know, to let uh, people do what they do best, you know, and try not to get into certain realms that we're not completely steeped in. So I, I don't, I could learn about that technology over time. I'm, you know, I'm a curious person. I can read about anything for a couple of weeks and kind of get in there and, and visit places. And, you know, I don't mind that, but I do, I do think there's something to letting people do exactly what they're great at. Um, and, and for me to focus on what I'm great at and to uh, kind of let those meet in the middle. So, What are you guys seeing from a leasing standpoint? Is there any ability to get pre-leases or is it still build it and then you have to lease after it's built? I, th I think there's still some of that. Uh, I think it's not as uh, um, difficult as it was, you know, five years ago. Uh, we, we have not really started marketing uh, the studio just a little bit. Uh, but I'm pretty confident that we'll have a, a long-term lease in place before we close. What are the longest leases that you've heard about in Atlanta? Uh, I think five years was the 
probably the longest I've heard about. I don't know if there's uh, optional years on top of those, but uh, I've heard of fives. I've heard of people talking about tens and twenties. Uh, I don't necessarily believe that those are real yet. Um, and the five years, are they real five-year real estate leases or are they, or are they you know, five-year leases that are one-year options? Yeah, I think that's more or less where they've been is with the options. But we're, we're I think, now pushing people towards more. Well, even yeah, I've heard of like three tradition. years guaranteed and and two two year options. I think that's the biggest I heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they are becoming more pre- prevalent, as as Mike said, and and because just the sheer amount of content that's being made now, and you know, the traditional mode, as we all know, has been. Uh, you have a project that gets green lit and you, the producers scramble to, you know, they, they needed a stage and offices a week before that, you know, so they're like, wait, can we, I mean, most deals I've made have been like in my, in my, you know, 10 years of just doing this have been maybe a week before they moved in. I've made deals, uh, the night before they've moved in, um, I remember in LA at, at the studio I ran there, I did a deal on Christmas Eve for them to move in on the 28th, you know, stuff like that. Like they're just like, we need it now, but more so, you know, with Netflix and Apple and Amazon and NBC Universal, et cetera, you know, they, the sheer amount of content they're making, they just need the space and, and they're a little tired of, you know, uh, scrambling. So I think they're more apt to, make that longer term lease and to if they need to sublease it at some point they know if they're in the right city like Atlanta that they'll be able to sublease it or or I will for them uh to another production if they're not quite ready with someone to move in uh to dovetail with the previous production but I I think it's just a new a new world for them right now where they're like hey we have enough product to to bring in there the land you guys have, do you have uh, expansion possibility, or is it just a one and done? You're going to build what you can, and it, it, we're, we've uh, utilized every uh, square foot of that property to uh, for our film use. So um, we would not expand at that location necessarily. You'd have to yeah, find some other land. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Um, anything else you can tell me about the studio or the marketplace or like what you guys are seeing? Well, for Electric Owl, you know, our goal for it is to be the most production-friendly studio in the world. Uh, I know maybe everyone says that, but maybe not. I don't know. But that's that's our mode is, is uh, you know, to make a, a gorgeous property, high-end property um, with sustainability goals that match uh, our production clients' goals. Their, their sustainability departments are growing every year and uh, they're trying to have a a smaller footprint on their production side. We're gonna be the first to really match it and to be in line with their goals. And um, we aim to uh, replicate that around the world in a way that uh, just like people's favorite kind of high-end hotel chain, that they know what they're gonna get when they they go there and and it'll be run by the same people um, so there is a continuity of, uh, you know, communication and um, continuity of, of that that feeling of we're taking care we're taking care of we're home. So 
we we hope that this name Electric Al will mean something, uh, that this brand will mean something to people, uh, so they know if we if we end up in the UK or in Canada or in South America or um, other cities in America, that uh, they know what they're going to get, and uh, you know that type erasing these question marks is a huge thing. Usually, it's you know. Uh, we don't know what we're going to get in this space. We're in this new city, and we just have no idea. This will be, um, you know, give them a comfort. Uh, like I said, we, we just want it to be as seamless as possible and have the studio question, you know, n- not be a, a question mark. So uh, we're super excited to uh, to launch this and to, uh, you know, we love being part of this uh, community here in Atlanta and in Georgia. Um, it's really important. Uh, it's become, you know, my home base uh, Moving here from LA five years ago, um, I had never thought of Georgia uh, to live in a day in my life. Uh, truly, you know, uh, until I really heard about this incentive, and I was trying to, you know, move my family east. And you know, it's been really a wonderful, a wonderful change in my life. And and uh, we just we want to give back to this community as well, and and make the film industry, you know, uh, kind of a catalyst for change and community locally everywhere we go. Uh, we don't want to just tuck away and and be the silent, you know, uh, film thing uh, that doesn't affect the world around it. So, um, you know, we're really excited to launch it. Yeah. And I would just build on that a little bit. And, and I think Dan said it uh, very well. Thank you. Uh, but from a, you know, real estate perspective, um, you know, improving communities, using uh, the film uh, production, as a economic development tool, which you're familiar with, Ryan, um, improving neighborhoods that we go into, uh, reaching out to the community, um, using the curiosity that a, a film studio brings and, and excitement that it brings uh, as a tool to help neighborhoods uh, to teach people is a very important goal for, for us uh, as a, as Electric Owl. So we're looking forward to that. And you know, having been in this business, we already know those rewards that it can bring. And uh, with our capital partner, just really being able to amplify that uh, to whatever market we, we end up in. Well, I know that DeKalb County is really excited to have you guys. I know that uh, Metropolitan Atlanta as a whole is excited to see all these developments that are creating this ecosystem that just grows more robust every day. Uh, certainly, the entire state of Georgia is benefiting hugely from uh, this infrastructure and this industry. So, you know, I'm excited about what you guys are doing. I'm thrilled that uh, both of you continue to stay on the growth side of the entertainment industry. Um, obviously, Third Rail was a huge success, and I'm sure Electric Owl is going to be uh, even bigger. Um, you know, we we keep thinking about the the, the next leg of growth and, and how you educate the next generation of, of filmmakers and uh, the crew that, that is necessary to continue to have this growth. I mean, last year, I think in Georgia, it was $4 billion worth of, of, of um, production. It's amazing, yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about employing, I think it's tens of thousands, but I would guess 30, 40,000 crew members. Right. Um, not to mention then all the people that are ancillary to that, that I think the state you know, judges to be over 100,000 jobs in the industry uh, as you look at the industry as, as a whole. Uh, but what you guys are doing is, um, you know, really important, not only on the economic side for, you know, what obviously you want to make money in this and there's a money to be made. Uh, but in addition, it's, it is transformative of communities. So, yeah. And as a, I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, a, as a, 
kid, you know, I grew up in, in Philly and uh, we didn't have much of, we had some great movies over the years, but we didn't have much of a film industry. But I imagine right now, if you're a kid growing up in Georgia, you know, this is like part of your life. And, and it seems um, like something you can realize as a dream, you know, because you see it around, you see production crews, you see uh, great nonprofits working in, in high schools to teach kids about film production. It's, it's everywhere. And, and, and we've done a lot to help fortify that as well. And, you know, I think that's a really cool thing. Like, all of a sudden, kids growing up in in Georgia are like, "Yeah, I can work in the film industry. It's it's in my backyard." And uh, you know, I didn't grow up with that. I've I've been a movie fan since I was you know a baby, basically. Like I told my parents, I wanted to work in the, this industry when I was five years old, but I didn't have a um, there was no kind of infrastructure, nothing that I could visualize as it be, for it to become a real thing. So I think that's you know, really uh, a, a cool thing to uh, have it be such a, a huge influence in the local communities as well. And uh, that that's only going to get bigger. Dolores Crowell, who is running the, she's the executive director of the Georgia Film Foundation, which is uh, partnering with the Georgia Film Academy to try to, you know, drive that growth in the high schools and even at the colleges, and yeah. the, the, the uh, technical schools, and just find all the routes to funnel people in to get that education. Yeah. Um, you know, building the infrastructure that you guys are building, that's where the job flow comes from and allows people to live and work in their own communities where they're not just commuting all over town. I mean, obviously there's tons of traffic in Atlanta and the more we can do to allow people to work in the neighborhoods they live, mm-hmm. you know, helps that a lot. No doubt. Anyway, we're out of time on this. I'm, I'm thrilled about what you guys are doing. I really appreciate you. being on the podcast. Thanks and, for having um, us, Ryan. I'd love to have you guys back again as you continue to grow and tell us those stories. Um, and I'm sure we'll have lots of other things to talk about, about how this, this ecosystem evolves. Thanks, Great. Ryan. Thanks yeah, for having us. We, we're happy to be here, and thank you. Of course. Thanks, guys. This has been the Black Hole Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. <laughs>